Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. I'm Tal Rabinowitz. I'm your host, and I'm the founder of Den Meditation. Today, we have Dr. Pedram Shojai. He's a former Taoist monk and is a doctor of oriental medicine. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of The Urban Monk, which I read and loved, which is why I wanted to have him on here. He's also the author of The Art of Stopping Time, founder of Well.org, UrbanMonkNutrition.com, host of The Urban Monk Podcast, and filmmaker of the documentary Prosperity. He's an acclaimed Qigong master who studied Kung Fu and Tai Chi for decades, and he uses Eastern thinking and practices to help himself and others overcome the westernized challenges of everyday life. If you think that list was long, it is, but that's what I love about him, and that's what he teaches you. He's not teaching you to run away and avoid life. He's teaching us how to live in it, get as much done as you want to get done, but how to do it in a healthy manner, how meditation can really center you and change everything and actually allow you to do more. It's a really fascinating conversation. The man is brilliant. He has so many interesting things to say. He was a monk, so the fact that he comes from that world and he actually disrobed in order to live in modern day society and help people achieve these moments for themselves. We also talk a lot about parenting and we talk about not falling into like the regular spiritual traps and just kind of doing things for a quick fix, how you actually need to check in with yourself and do what's right for you. Ton of practical tips here, ton of things to do. His personal practice at the end is a breathing meditation. It's a Taoist form of meditation, really simple and really beautiful and something you can do everywhere. So make sure you stick around for that too. Let's just roll right into it. I love, I'm so happy that I'm here with you because I read your incredible book last May. I mean, so long ago and you and I have been like, playing phone tag and like making this happen. And I remember when reading it, I'm like, I cannot wait to have you here because I think what you did so brilliantly with that book is you took Eastern thinking and philosophy and brought it into the Western world so simply and clearly. And I don't think that's easy. I mean, obviously that's what we do here. We try and what so many people are doing. And I think it's becoming more pervasive whether no matter what industry, whether it be even aesthetic industry or health and wellness, I think people are definitely trying to bring more of an Eastern perspective into it. But this was like so simple and so easy. 
And you just gave so many to-dos and tasks. So I really want to chat about a lot of that stuff. But one of the things you talked about a lot, which comes up even on this podcast a lot, is about the fight or flight, hmm. which I know is, you know, everyone talks about that's part of the reason we all need to meditate is because it just fucks up your system so badly. And again, I want to get into details about that. But the first thing I really want to talk about, because it kind of blew my mind, it was the one thing I kept going back to in this book, was it's not even so much hey, we live in constant fight or flight. You know, back in the old days, like there's a lion, your cortisol goes up, your adrenaline goes up. That is not a healthy way of being. It's not, you know, you're not meant to stay in that state constantly. But what really blew my mind, because that's a concept I understand, was because we don't live in a society, most of us do not live in a life or death situation every day. I'm not saying people haven't, but most of us every day are not living with those situations around us. Our body has adjusted making everything, the death situation, like, which I think is fascinating. I never thought about it that way where I'm like, oh, I get it. Like you, your adrenaline goes up, you have that system. But then to think like, oh, just the meeting has become fight or flight or just like having to get breakfast on the table has become fight or flight for some people or, you know, making plans with their friends have become fight or flight, depending on who you are and what gets your stress. That to me actually kind of blew my mind. And then in the sense of like, if that is your normalcy, like how do you switch it? Like how do you bring in those moments that actually what you talk about is how you can bring those moments in that actually are a little bit life or death to normalize it. Hmm. So I'd love to start there if you can talk a little about it because that to me is what blew my mind. I'm like, oh fuck, like you do talk about it. You're like, go jump out of a plane. Like hmm. you'll re-almost balance yourself and recalibrate because that's actually life or death. So you're actually hmm. giving yourself the proper surge so that your body can almost balance and know, oh, that is not where I should be getting that surge from. Totally. I thought that was like an, an incredible insight. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know, it ain't easy living in the world we live in, right? It's we've all been trained to live at the red line, live in crazy Right. Yeah. And so everyone around us is crazy. And if I'm going slow, then, you know, I must be losing because those guys are moving faster and, you know, somehow winning on a scoreboard that, um, you know, a race to cancer. I don't, I don't know what that scoreboard is, right. but it's not, it's not great. And because we live there and because we um, don't see examples like shining examples of people that are winning in a different game, we just assume that this is it. We, we take on an operating system that becomes uh, pathological. Right. And so for me, Living in that state, right? If, if you've turned up that dial, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, the cloud that follows around the guy that's always kind of depressed. It's like, this is the stress cloud. This is my operating yep. system. I don't know anything other than this. And so I carry this velocity and this intensity into everything. Um, and you look at these, like, war veterans that come back. They are so relaxed. Because unless <laughs> there's an RPG, like, attack this ain't shit, man. Like, this is cool. We're just sitting around right now, right? And so they've become super relaxed because they've, they've pushed that line. They understand what real stress is. For us, it's stressful when Trump tweets something, right? And it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. The world is ending. I mean, but really. Like, but he's been can, tweeting since we've known him, right? Right, and also people, but that really affects certain people. I mean, it's fun to like make fun of it, but for some people, it will literally fuck them up. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, this is it, this is it. And it's just like, well, actually, he's been running his mouth ever since, you know, way before he became president. And the world still moves on, right? And there's certain things that That's we need right. to, to deal with. But, you know, it's we, we assign a certain amount of value to certain stressors. And we need to create, manufacture these crises because we live in fight or flight. And so there's some new research that, have, that has really been blowing my mind on all this since I wrote The Urban Monk, you know, a couple of years ago now, more. Um, 
NF Kappa B. So we now understand that these mind-body practices help modulate the expression of genes that lead to inflammation across the board in the body. So you're, there's two channels. There's fight or flight and rest and digest. Mm-hmm. And if you are living in fight or flight, you are also triggering inflammatory cascades that will give you diabetes, obesity, heart disease, glaucoma, you just name it, all the shit. You live in this channel, you will get sick and die of a chronic disease. It's just a matter of time. You might be one divorce away. You might be one you know, major illness away. Something is going to break and snap, and you are now going to be sick because you have been living on the breadline of health for years and years and years. The other thing, rest and digest. This is where you heal. This is where your microbiome thrives. This is Think about like peacetime economy versus wartime economy, yep. right? And peacetime economy is when you build libraries, right? And, and wartime economy, there's potholes in the streets, and you don't care. Right. And so how do you come over? We now understand definitively that it's mind-body practices like meditation, yoga, tai chi, qigong. These are the things we don't quite understand how the heck they're doing what they're doing, but we know, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I could go like ancient mysticism and say, well, this is what it does, but the science is trying to figure out what it does. And we're so programmed to need science. Well, it's, you know, that is the new priesthood, right? Um, I, I say this is so because I represent science and science is the new God and therefore I'm the emissary, I, I'm the, the interpreter, the arbiter of this information. Therefore, oh, look, there's a study that says, you know, you should eat vegetables. Now I'm going to start eating vegetables. Like, give me a freaking break. Right. Eat vegetables, right? And, <laughs> and so th- this is, you know, what's happening is the world that we live in. These are the belief systems and the bumpers we put ourselves in. I'm a scientist. I love science and the fact that it's catching up, that's great. Has that precluded me from being able to, you know, do my practices for the last 20 years? No, because scientifically, I know I feel better and I'm better when I do them. Now the studies are coming out and you're like, oh, look, right? That's cool. It is definitive. You meditate, you live a healthier, longer, more robust life filled with vitality. And so the question is, well, how long do I meditate? What do I have to do? You know, let's make a deal, right? It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so, it, that is how we're programmed. Yeah, and so how long should I be meditating? All the time is the answer, right? I, I fundamentally oppose some of, the, some of the assumptions of what meditation are and how they've been kind of brought over to the West, which is like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I got to go like, you know, find some time to meditate or now I need to go do some shamanic journey for, you know, five days and let it press reset. Like because, quick fixes. Well, it's, it's just like, you know, I'm so stressed out, I need a quaalude. Right. You're still using it to mask something you're, you're still, Yeah, it's still fundamentally imbalanced. And so the question is, how can meditation be part of your operating system? So you're constantly scanning and being like, wow, what the hell am I worried about right now? Like, I, that's completely out of my hands. It's raining and I'm in traffic. Let's breathe. Right? Let's breathe. Let's just stay here. Let's stay in this place. And when you stay in that place, you have the calm, resilient kind of like, you know, engine humming that's ready to hit the gas if you need it, but you're not sitting there hitting the gas with your foot on the brake the whole time saying, you know, my life isn't working, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's insane. How do people know, obviously some of them are super obvious, but how do you know when you're in fight or flight mode? Because not everyone's obvious. Like some are, like you said, they're sick, they're on the verge, like they're super stressed out. But like, what about people who actually feel like pretty good and pretty relaxed, but are still, like even me, I feel like, one thing that was interesting for me reading your book, I was like, oh shit, like you do the whole, 
you talk about the cortisol in the middle of the night and you know you're actually what you wrote because I like underlined it. You're like, basically you're fucked. It's like what you wrote, something like that. Where it's like, if you're being woken up in the middle of the night and like your heart's pounding, you're already so far at the end of this. Like you need to like do some, and I was laughing because so many of the precursors you talked to, I actually didn't feel at all. Mm. But that was a major one for me, not so much anymore, but like being woken up in the middle of the night as if I had a bad dream, like startled and not being able to go back asleep. And not even necessarily because I was thinking about a million things, just because at that point, my heart was beating so much, I was awake. Like I was just awake. And I laugh, I should almost find it because I underline it and started laughing. I'm like, well, that's good to know. I mean, you were basically like, you were fucked, you were screwed, you're at the end of it. You're, and I was like, that's so fascinating because for me, and I know I'm not alone, I didn't necessarily show all of the same signs leading up to it. Mm. I mean, I know I'm like, I have a lot going on, but I don't know, is that just like my operating system's different? So it handles things differently. So I don't necessarily, you don't always know if some of your things are kind of off. Well, Do you know in, what I mean? In all candor, like I just met you maybe half an hour ago. You're an intense person. No, of course. And you live in LA around a bunch of other intense people that are doing intense things, things, like pilots for for shows and all this kind of stuff. And so when you're when you're wrapped in the intensity, you're not the outlier. Right. Right? Let's go drop you in small town Iowa right now, and they're gonna be like, whoa, that chick's oh, intense. Oh, for sure. Right. And this is this is after years of meditating. It's just your Absolutely. operating system is that sharp and and you know it's like what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing let's go so you said but that goes to my point which is actually exactly what i'm looking for so most people not most but a lot of people fall in this category whether they're even can feel it or not sure like some people feel stress and they feel it and you can see it on them and some people don't necessarily feel it but are probably living within it i guess that's what i'm trying to say so if you're not the person who necessarily feels it what are the signs what are the signs? Because yeah. that's my thing. I know that I live in a stressful world and obviously I run a business and all that stuff, but I don't always show the signs. Right. So they're different for different people. Right. Yesterday I was getting my teeth cleaned and I was like, wow, my clinch in my hands. It, like it, it wasn't hurting, but it was the kind of pre-programmed uh, anticipation of pain to come. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, you know, I know, where I I'm just that. like, whoa, dude. And I just like relaxed and started doing belly breathing and the hygienist is like, oh, I was waiting for you to, you know, come back. And I was like, whoa, Right caught myself. That, by the way, is meditation, right? Is the ability to ask yourself, what am I doing right now, mm-hmm. right? So and just like, being aware. Being aware, coming back to it and just being like, yeah, what am I doing? Like what? And so like one of the telltale things is like, okay, like I'm going to go jaywalk across that street and there's cars coming, so I'm running. And then I get to the other side, but then I just kind of keep running because like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm doing. And that's like, okay, so I just got home, but I'm still spinning. Right, and you catch yourself like moving from task to task, from kind of busy item to busy item, and you're still running your to dos, and you're still trying to like, you know, your velocity doesn't allow you to just stop and feel, right? And when you do, it's like when you get to the point where you're like, shit, what should I be doing right now? The answer probably is stop doing anything. You're you're in the death spiral of to dos. Right. right. Okay. What do I do next? What do I do next? And like, look, if you're at work and you got you know shit going on, you're you know you got agendas and things are going on, and you're just banging through work. That's fine. Then you stop and you do nothing, right? But that constant, perpetual, like problem-solving mind that's moving from one crisis to another isn't going to stop. That is the alarm system. That is the amygdala, the amygdala, the part of your brain that is constantly cueing you to just put out fires because like there's too many fires and it's like, you know, it's like a mash unit where like, you know, people are coming in and they're bleeding and you're like, ah, oh, shit, I gotta save lives, right? But your life isn't 
designed to be a daily, everyday, 24-7 MASH unit, but your nervous system has booted up to the point where that's how you operate, right? And I'm not you, all of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the enemy, right? We live in a culture now where it's just so accelerated with stress that the pressure of all of these to-dos, and we're damn good at it. I mean, we are yeah, efficient. And we've evolved and, into and, it. And, and frankly, some of the most interesting people I meet are in L.A., New York, San Francisco, Chicago, who have really kind of pushed the envelope yeah, of their ability to be able to problem solve and be sharp and focused. But the ones that survive and the ones that are actually cool to hang with are the ones that also know how to pop in the clutch and not stay in that high gear. It's so interesting you say that because for me, I the, when I do feel stress is exactly what you were saying. And I and it's when I joke, it's when I say it to my husband is when I feel like I can't turn it off, like that mm. feeling of like what am I supposed to be doing next? I know they're supposed to I, I hate that feeling. Mm-hmm. And for me that's actually rarer than one would think knowing me. It actually is cuz I actually can just be home I'm like I'm done. I need I'm done for now. Mm. But there are those few moments like when I'm in a certain place in my life where, and I can feel it. It's not even just in my head. Like I feel it in my body. It's almost like I have to turn left or turn right and go, go, go. And those are the moments I've looked, that's when I actually feel the stress. Mm. And I've said to like my husband before, like I am stressed. I am feeling stress and it's taken him years, but now he knows I'm like, hello. If I am saying I am stressed, like this means something like most people are like put away for this. Like if I'm saying I'm stressed because I don't always feel it, like that means I'm about to blow. It's a smoke alarm. It's a smoke alarm. Like, and that's usually, that's for me, my signal, what you were just Mm. talking about is actually interesting when you're describing Mm. it. I'm like, Oh, that's actually usually my moment where I'm like, Holy crap. I'm really stressed out. Pull the cord. Pull the cord. Absolutely. Um, so it's really interesting that you were saying that. Yeah, it's, it, you know what, and for you, it's a little different than others. Unfortunately, like, so for me, coming from, like, the Dr. Pedram side of the equation. I love uh, that combination. Though. Right? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. but so what people will come in, and, and they'll be like, my head hurts. Like, oh, does it? <laughs> right? And so you start, you start dissecting, like, the origin of this headache. And it's just so many stressors that are um, unattended. So it's like, if you don't pull that alarm and you're like, okay, you know what, honey, I'm stressed. I need a minute. Like I get this, like, you know, things, things are going to break. People will run all the way to the point where they're like, shit, I, man, I got this migraine. I don't know where these migraines are coming from. Maybe it's the cheese, right? And maybe it is partially the cheese, but like, what is it that's getting you over that line over and over again until the body's like, all right, fuck you. I'm going to make this hurt, right? I'm going to make this hurt. Now your stomach hurts. Now you're not digesting. Now you're doing... And so, you know, you see this in salivary IgA, secretory IgA in the gut. You see this with immunomodulation across the board. You see the gut-associated lymphatic tissue and the depression of the immune system with elevated stress. So what happens is people are like, well, how do I know? It's like, because you're sick. Right. (laughs) Because your body stopped working, right? That's also a smoke alarm. And and unfortunately, that's not my favorite smoke alarm because now you're You're like, shit, give me a wrench. Like, I got to go in and fix this thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I mean, look, so many doctors do not talk like that, though. And so we as a society aren't programmed to hear it that way, which is basically what you're saying is your body, like, yes, there's science and all that, but your body is a predictor and an indicator of what is actually going on with you also with your mental health and your stressors and all of that, which like you said, a lot of times people get to that point where I have migraines or I have this, they're going to different doctors and all of a sudden they're down a rabbit hole trying to fix a million things, which I can imagine is not 
going to help the situation anyway. It's only going to put added stressors on you sometimes, right? Well, now I got all these damn appointments all week. Right. <laughs> right? Like, I got to go see the acupuncturist <laughs> and the chiropractor and the uh, naturopath who gave me $6,000 worth of pills that I can't even, like, I don't remember what they were for, right? And so people fall into this kind of wellness consumption model where, like, you know, and let's be, let's be frank about this. Like, you know, for me, let's just say if I'm going to be, like, wear my acupuncturist hat, not my functional medicine hat. As an acupuncturist, the way you make money is, is treating people. Right. So if you have a migraine, oh, you need to see me three times a week for the next eight weeks and we'll talk about it. Right. Um, and uh, if you don't keep coming in, I don't eat. Right. And so that's the broken part of the medical system where it's just like there's a kind of a disincentive to get people well too fast and be like, no, 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 come to me. I'm like Dr. Guru guy. And like, you know, you go tell all your friends how good I am because I'm making your migraines go away. But ethically, what I'm supposed to do is teach you how to never need me which is, hey, uh, next time you feel this, this, and this, let's deal with it this way so it doesn't escalate to a level eight or nine, which ends up being the migraine that brings you into my body shop here, right? And that's where healthcare is, is fundamentally flawed is all of the treatment that's being rendered and the money that's being, you know, kind of uh, transacted is after things break, right? And that's why we're in a trillion-dollar industry and everyone's sick. It's, it is... And a very difficult thing to reconcile. How do you, um, like when you're going through your spiritual practice and you're getting more intense and, and stronger with it, do you see things change within people's bodies too? Not always for the better? Like, cause I know I, in your book, you do a lot about toxin release and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes see the opposite? Like if you're, you've started meditating, you started doing a lot of your suggestions, which we'll talk about later specifics. And let's say they've been doing it for six months, a year, two years. So they've already seen X amount of improvement. It's been huge. Do you ever then see like a backward motion because something got, if we're talking about kind of something gets tapped into and is all of a sudden releasing a different toxin? Do you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you know what I'm asking? I know it sounds weird. Well, no, I mean, everyone lives in, I think we've, our culture is very confused, right? I think the the, you know, the way you could sum up religion is if you're the mob boss, like whacking people all week, then you just go into you know the church and ask for forgiveness, ten, ten Hail Marys, and you're absolved and go back to whacking people all week, right? <laughs> and so it's just like this, this kind of resolution and redemption model um, that comes from sinning and being forgiven. That isn't necessarily how the body works and how spirituality works uh, for people who you know are playing the long game, which is look, it's just a journey, man. Like you know, I, I was feeling at my prime, and then I caught a cold because my kid was sick, or I banged my knee skiing, and now like you know, I've gained ten pounds because I can't run, and you know that's that's called life. It yeah. happens, right? And so a lot of people feel like okay, now that I've done this, everything is supposed to be great eternally. Yes, common right? misconception. And there's, yeah, there's no bumps in the road. There's no more challenges. And that's just not how that works. It's like these layers of an onion that you just resolve because they become teaching points. And, and you know, life's way of saying, yo, ho, yo, yo, pull over. Pull over. I want you to look at this real quick. I want you to slow down, right? Um, you never stopped in the last three months to sit down and sip a cup of tea and slow down. So now I'm going to have you drink a bunch of tea and soup because you feel like shit <laughs> to make up for it, right? And, and so you reconcile this like time you owe yourself and just introspection and like, you know, everyone talks about indigestion. What about, you know, thought 
indigestion, spiritual indigestion. You know, someone said something that hurt your feelings and now you're at a meeting and you're just not quite there because you're still digesting this thing she said, right? And so those things take time and we live in a culture that sucks all the time right out of your, your life wallet, right? And you just don't have the time to commit to the, the, the slower things that are actually Beneficial. helping you heal. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. How... Especially, you know, we're talking about the L.A.s and the New Yorks earlier. Like, how do people who it is very busy around them and within them, what are ways to be able to make that time? I mean, I always say, I've been asked before, like, what's your favorite health fitness app? Like, what's your favorite app like to help you with stuff like that? And I'm always like, my calendar. It's always my first one. I'm like, it's not fancy. It's my calendar. You all have it. For me, I have to actually schedule things. And then that's how they happen. But that's for me. Like, what do you recommend? Yeah. First of all, apps kind of make me puke in my mouth a little bit. That was kind of my point. Yeah. Because it's, like, it's almost its own addiction within. Right. How do I click this meditation thing and feel better, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's just a quaalude, right? And then, like, the people who, like, build their apps as being the solution to everything is like, no. It's about stopping time and meditating. And your app is supposed to teach them how to do it and not make them reliant on it, Right. That's a false god. That is, that is idolatry. Be careful with that, right? The, the skill is in stopping time, right? It's not, I don't care what kind of meditation you do. Is it working by pulling you back into yourself and bringing you whole? And so, yeah, I mean, to your point, if you don't make time for your practice, you won't be practicing. You'll feel guilty about not practicing, and you'll talk about how you never have time for yoga or meditation, and it ain't going to work any better because it's not on your calendar, right? And so I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that. Uh, and then I think, you know, frankly, personally, I get up and I do my personal work every morning before the kids come marauding and like, you know, taking over the house, right? Like, you know, I got young kids, so do you. It's just, it's, it's. And I mean, that's more challenging. It for is sure. what it is. But right? it is what it is. And what am I going to feel sorry for myself? Or am I just going to get up 15, 20, 30 minutes earlier, do some Qigong, sit a little bit, calibrate myself, and then meet them with a smile instead of like, ah, shit, you're here? <laughs> right? Like, like, that's no way to greet a and child. And then we wonder why they're fucked up. And we wonder why they're <laughs> fucked up. Like, oh, you're not supposed to be up. Damn you. Right? Like, that's, that's not the right energy. Right? right? Yep. And so you get up, you, you drink. I actually sometimes will, like, just get her. And then, like, I know it's not the best, but sometimes I'll just turn on the TV so she can watch it, and I'll be, like, meditating, actually, in front of the TV with her doing it. And it's amazing, though, because she'll slowly, like, sneak over. And next thing I know, she's, like, sitting on my lap watching TV, but, like, sitting on my lap while I'm meditating. Mm. And, like, it's, it's actually really sweet, and it's, she's learning so much from it. Mm. So same thing I've learned, like, okay, it's not my ideal scenario. It's not exactly how I would do it when circumstances are different, but it's... I'm getting it done and I'm feeling good and she's learning something and she's happy and I'm greeting her with a smile, just like yep. you said. Yep. So it's not ideal, but it, it is what it is right now while she's three years it's old. It's serving your needs and you got a lot of things going on and this is yeah. helping you drink from the fountain. Yeah, right? so sorry. And I know I interrupted yeah, you no, and you're no. drinking from the fountain. <laughs> uh, well, don't worry because I'm always drinking from the fountain, right? Like that's the practice. Yep. You know, every time, every time in between breaths, I just I relax more than I exert and that's why I can do as much as I do, right? And that's, really kind of the secret to all of it, <laughs> right? It's not that complicated. Just relax deeply all the time. I love what you just said. You go, and that is why I do as much as I do. So what is interesting about that, because I think some people listening to this would be like, I've got to cut my schedule in half. I've got to do less. I've got to do less. I've got to do less. And maybe they do. We don't know what every, every situation is for now, but that's what I want to get at because what I, you do do 
a shit ton of things. You're all over the place. You're so ridiculously accomplished. You're constantly with new ideas and doing things. So it's not like I'm looking at someone who goes home and is like, um, you're a monk by yourself and then just come out for an interview here and there and disappear. Like you're very busy, very present in today's world and society. So talk a little bit about that, how when you actually can live the practice, it actually enables you to function in this way that some people might think we're trying to say you shouldn't be. Yeah. That was kind of the, the burning, bleeding edge between my first book and my second book. My first book was way more monk than urban, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was challenged by life to say, okay, practice what you preach. It's really easy to say, okay, run for the hills and you'll, you'll be able to do this. You know, come up to my, you know, six-month yoga retreat and forget about your life and, you know, you change your name to, you know, Shanti, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's not practical for What should my people. spiritual name be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, was my, what was my mantra? Right? And, and so what is that, right? How can you actually live the Dharma in the life that you've chosen and choose to operate in a way that's actually more balanced and fundamentally, you know, healthy versus running for the hills. And I'll tell you, look, I spent a lot of time in the Himalayas, right? I've been a monk. And I know I can't wait to talk about that. There was a lot of people up there that were running from the world. Of course, it's escape. Yeah. It's away from the world. Yeah. And as I sat there meditating for world peace, 9-11 happened. As I sat there contemplating the nature of my existence, I watched, I was sitting on the beach where the Western world was splashing on the Himalayas saying, help me, and, and just hiding from their pain, their emotions, their trauma, their history. And I sat with the guru and I'm like, I don't get it, I don't get this. And he's like, no, you don't belong here. You need to go back. And you need to take everything you've learned here and integrate it into the life of the people that you are trying to serve And the day you are fundamentally balanced and being able to do it is the day you're allowed to speak and lecture on this subject because there's too much hypocrisy on here. Can you go back for a second? What did he mean when he said the day you were balanced and able to do it, you can speak on the subject? Because most people will go take a few workshops, come back, talk about being some shitty-ass guru and build a following and wear some robes and they're all false prophets. I never wanted to be a guru. I'm still not a guru. I don't give a shit about any of that. The deal is, can you be the dad, the husband, the business person, the guy in traffic that you're supposed to be holding the practice and not snap, right? Is the practice actually working for you or are you just talking a bunch of shit because your identity needs you to say you do yoga? I mean, I think it's, that's such an interesting subject. We deal with it a lot. I mean, we're in LA, which is like kind of now becoming like a Mecca of spirituality. And by Mecca is not an appropriate word because I think you get a lot of people just being like, oh, this is a new fad, I'm going to do it. Or like you've said, they're exploring it a little bit for themselves and, it, and, and they're liking their changes, but then also becomes their career. And maybe that's not even what they're meant to do, but they're just taking it on. And especially in a world for us too, where there's a lot of actors and actresses, um, you do get a lot of this as another stage. Well, and by the way, and I'm not saying everyone's like this, obviously. No, I run a studio with amazing, incredible people, and there's other people out there that are incredible too. But I do see it happen, and I do see a lot of false idolatry happening. And um, it is a little scary. And I do see even people that I think are unbelievably true and talented and strong, but get getting caught up in the narcissism of it all as well as they gain a following which maybe is part of their journey. But do you know what I mean? It's a really fascinating thing to watch. It's a subject that has been up, up front and personal for me. I was um, just in Park City at Sundance and we had some team over there and one of the, the girls was like going to this person's thing. And um, one of my friends, you know, 
a filmmaker and she's like, oh, he wants to do this personal development project. And she named three people that she thought would be good for this thing. And I couldn't stop puking in my mouth. Like I had to get verbal. <laughs> Look, ex moms puke in their mouth too. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, you don't you dare put that person up on a pedestal as a personal development guru. And she's like, well, you don't know anything about them. You're judging them. Like you don't know enough about them. Right. And if you do that, you are doing the world a disservice. I love the fact that this person wants to do a personal development uh, project. The Dalai Lama is alive. Yeah. Climb up the fucking mountain. Don't take these LA charlatans. And as we're having that conversation, it's like turning into this kind of heated thing and like, my, you know, there's other people jumping in and this, that, and the other. The same night, someone posts that this person had been cheating on them and then like 3,000 people come up and be like, this person fondled me. This person's Oof. a sexual predator. Here's your guru, lady. It is really interesting. Here's your guru. It is interesting of what makes a guru. Someone says they're a guru. <laughs> right? If someone's calling themselves a guru, turn around and run. I, well, that I agree with. I'm sure. like, if anyone's ever, they're truly not. I would say you're not really a healer. If, Like, I have a, love, a woman who I love dearly who has studied in Peru and this shamanic and all this, and she's the first to say if anyone ever describes themselves as a shamanic healer, like... And she is a shamanic killer. She's like, right. but I, she's like, it makes me so uncomfortable if yeah. someone even like labels me that way because yeah. that's just not who we are. And I always laugh. I'm like, well, that's usually when you can tell the difference of like when someone's using it as a label or they're just yeah. actually out there healing in that way. Unassuming, healthy, humble, and just look for the light in their eyes. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable around them? Are they happy? Are they, do they want something from you? Because if they want something from you, they're not drinking from the eternal fountain. They're drinking horizontally. They're trying to feed off of whatever is here instead of feeding on eternity. That's interesting. So feeding horizontally. Wow. Like I never looked at it that way. It's a parasitic universe. Mm. And a true spiritual master knows how to tap into infinity in his whole. What do they need anything from you for? You want something from them. And they're like, I don't have it. Look up. Right? right a, we a all true, have it. Right? Yeah. A true guru says, don't look at me. Look through me. Look at where I'm drinking. Come to the source. So when you say, I don't like to be looked at as a guru, I'm not a guru, what do you see your role as? I'm just a facilitator. I'm a guy. I was going to say an right? aid. That's what kind of came to me. An yeah, aid. I'm a, like a, I'm a dad. Like I, I, like a dad. I, did, I didn't even want to. <laughs> I didn't even want to do this stuff. I just got pulled into it because there's so many of these people talking a bunch of bullshit, having taken a weekend seminar somewhere and all these people are following them and, and you know, they're getting molested, they're getting abused, they're getting all their money taken away. There's just, it's a parasitic reality out there. And it's just at the point where it's like, oh my goodness, someone has to say something because the real stuff exists. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to tell you a story because this, I think this is relevant. When I was in Dharamsala, so I was studying with the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa Lama, um, and I, I was in Dharamsala, India for a while. Um, there was something really f powerful about the contrast of that town. So there's this, this Mecca of Tibetan Buddhism, obviously, like the Mecca of Tibetan Buddhism is here. So there's all these centers of study with these beautiful, unbelievably light beings that are disseminating like just beauty and truth. And then when you're sitting there at the coffee shop in Dharamsala, there's these like roving bands of like vagabond drunk guys and these like gangs of dogs that would like, like face off and like Oof. maul each other in the middle of the street and they're all like scarred up and stuff. And it's just like this marked contrast of this like 
underworld that lived in this like spiritual Mecca. And I was just watching it and watching it. And then I sat down with uh, one of the Rinpoches I was studying with. And I'm like, isn't it interesting that this is happening? And we got into this really powerful conversation about how the shadow loves, needs, and goes to the light. So we're sitting here in Los Angeles, and you can walk into a bar, a stone throws away from here, stones throw away from here, and there's some kid from Iowa or something just strumming a guitar till his fingers are bleeding, making real music. And then there's an entire industry that's there to extract the value of that and generate money and take selfies and do all this bullshit and approximate the real music. So there is spirituality, some beauty yeah. that's in Los Angeles. And then there's this, these concentric rings of lost souls that are posing and having a feeding frenzy on people who are just trying to find their way, right? And you'll see that everywhere. Now, so when you talk about, I mean, obviously it's always opposite. So if there's a light, there's a dark. But I love that you said the dark needs and feeds off of the light. Is it always that close? Like, I mean, there is something really interesting when you give the example you gave that is a little startling because one would almost imagine and assume just the energy rating off of whether it be a mountaintop or from the monastery would be enough to help a little bit of some sort of perimeter. You know what I mean? Mm. So the fact that it's like right there, that's such an interesting contrast. It's, I don't, I mean, you could get into kind of the spiritual context of it and, you know, this is what people say. I don't know, right? right. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, a lot of people talk about things that they heard at some spiritual lecture as truth. I just don't know. Right. I could speculate, right? Is that this is the reflection of the reality we're in, is if you're in duality and if you are talking about light, you cannot have light without the contrast of dark. Like, what good is a candle in the broad daylight? Like, you need to be in a dark room to see the candle. And then the light shines through the darkness, and you understand the nature of the light. So there's something about that that's here to teach us about who we are and what we are. And that's an interesting conversation. And again, I'm not going to speculate about what that means, because we're going, I'm going, getting over my skis there. <laughs> but what I will do is sit there and breathe to it and try to understand what that means inside of me. And then that's my truth. So in that note of kind of the spirituality context and talking about the stressors of common society and how people need to slow down, where is the balance? Can one start even reaching spirituality until they solve the stressors or can there be a mutual existence? I don't think they're separate, right? Um, I think as you, most people say, okay, I have this pain. So I'm going to move towards spirituality. And I think that is the fundamental fallacy of how any of this works. I think the pain is your teacher. So as you turn and heal the pain, you start to relieve yourself and you leave room for the spirituality to glow, right? Instead of running towards some far off Shangri-La, right? Like it does, that's not the answer, that's polarity. So the answer is embracing healing and loving the pain and growing into the stillness and being comfortable in the stillness. The reason why most people can't stop is because they feel all of their pain and anguish and insecurity and challenges and issues in the silence. So they create the noise to distract themselves. And therefore they say, I've tried meditating and it didn't work. Right. That's always. And what's your response to that? I tried flying a helicopter and it didn't work. <laughs> it's like what I tell my three-year-old. I'm like, I know you have to practice. That's what I always tell my three-year-old. Practice, practice, practice. And we live in such a 
perfection, like perfectionist society. Or it's not like perfection. It's just like we've been trained to think that there is something that'll scratch every itch instantly. Right? A catch all. Yeah. yeah. Learn how to meditate and it becomes the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, I tried. It's hard. Yeah. The literal translation of Kung Fu is hard work. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. And so it's like, how's your Kung Fu? Doesn't mean how many people did you beat up at the bar yesterday. <laughs> it means how are you handling this thing called life and are you resilient enough to, to take on challenges and be stronger than the challenges life throws at you? Because life, once you get better, will throw you harder and harder challenges. But it goes back to what you were saying in the beginning is we were, were raised in a society that truly does not have life and death scenarios happening all the time. And therefore it's like, I mean, I don't know how to say it, but like we're a little bit weak in that sense. So it's like even just these emotions can be overwhelming or the idea of hard work. But how do you take care of that like in a societal global context? Like for instance, even at the same time, we're telling parents about nurturing and making sure our kids feel safe. And then there becomes this little plastic wrap bubble around children, which I think makes it even harder as they get older to even function or understand what emotion is or try and do the hard work. Why would they do the hard work? They never had to do it before. They don't even understand how to even start that. So like, how do you reconcile all of that? And how do we kind of tackle it in a bigger sense? The way you reconcile anything is you start with yourself, right? And be the example of it, right? It's, um, I need to be the dad I need to be for my kids, which means I can't tell them to do anything I haven't done or I'm not willing to do and do do in front of them and demonstrate. Give me an example of a time, like there's something like your instinct was like, I should tell them no to that or or something. And then you're like, that came into play. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the example that just comes to mind is, you know, I remember I had some movie launch and, you know, I was busy and I decided to work from home that day and my kid kept wrestling the, the laptop away from me and I'm just like, get off, man, can't you see I'm busy? And, and we had this moment where it occurred to me that he was fighting for my attention, not that thing. And because my attention had been placed in this thing that I was valuing mm-hmm. more than him, he was fighting for the thing because it must be valuable. And it just pulled me into this really kind of dark place for a second where I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Shut down the laptop and when I'm home, I'm home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I teach them that I'm at work, they have my undivided attention for a moment. I teach them the boundary that I'm at work and this is what work does. And then I'm back. But this splintering of my attention, just assuming they understand what I'm doing, these abstract concepts like money and work and all these things, right. they just wanted daddy's love, right? Yeah. And so I had to like immediately come to present and be like, I don't care how much fucking yoga you do in the morning, you asshole. You're being an absent father for oh this God. child right now and you're teaching them that this thing is more important. Why do you think they're attached to their stupid devices? Because we are. For sure. Absolutely. I get it. I try and remind myself of that all the time. I had a very similar instance with my daughter and it was almost the exact same reaction because they're so smart. Like the way she even said it, she asked me almost a question about it. And I remember my, it just went off ding, ding, ding. I'm like, oh, it's exactly what you said. I had the exact same realization. And I like, I remember turning like my phone over and just being present because I'm like, that's all she wants. And I should be giving it to her. Like I'm sitting here with her. Like this is horrible. (laughs) It's my job. It's my sole job. Yeah. And they're watching because they're present and we're teaching them to disassociate and step out of the reality that we're in and go to some fantasy land of some other whatever. And so we're handing our children away to this devil energy, if you will. Right. It's not real. 
Therefore, it is not wholesome for them to live there. So, you know, my kids spend a lot of time in nature. We have a garden uh, in our yard that they're in all the time, just eating food, you know, wrestling around with the dogs. And just, you know, I curate their experience to have three-dimensional interactions with real things. And it's hard. I mean, we live, you know, in Southern California. Like, there's stuff that, you know, just kind of constantly pulls our attention. So then my question as a father is, how much do you actually have to work how efficient are you at work and how can you leverage this thing called work to make this thing called money in a better way so that you could spend more time with your family in a way that's meaningful. So we did an experiment last year where we went to Italy for a month with a couple other families and you know we'd have full days with them and then daddy would take like a 30 to 60 minute work break and just handle a couple things and then when they'd go to sleep my team was up in California and I worked for an hour or so if I had to. And the company did better while I was gone. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like, why, why do I even live here? Like, why do I go to the office, right? And so just, just challenging all those assumptions, right? I don't have a nine to five. I don't deserve a nine to five. Like, I, 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 you know, I, I've worked my way through that to be like, I'm better this way. Right. And so now I get to spend quality time with my kids instead of being fragmented. But what's so interesting about what you're saying too is you're still doing the work. Like you're still working. You're still being, right. You're still being very efficient. It's just you're being smart about how you're doing it and you're tapping into like what you need to do, where you need to be. Because again, I do think that is something that happens really easily is it's twofold. Some people feel like, like you said, it's the magic pill. I'm just going to go for that shamanic healing and I'm no longer going to be stressed and it's going to solve all my problems. I don't really need to do the work behind it. Or also be the like I want to spend more time with family. I just have to quit my job. Like not understanding the ways to live in both universes at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's way too polarized and it's just not anchored in reality. You know, I've had so many of these like, you know, high intensity corporate people in Los Angeles quit their jobs and become massage therapists until they realize that that doesn't really make money the way they're used to making, right? right? And it's a lot of manual labor and you got to take care of yourself and you're not being a wellness emissary by putting yourself in financial strife, right? And, and, and it's over and over again, people do this or they, you know, they change their careers and like, I'm going to be a life coach. I'm like, okay, well, is your life together? Let's start there. And being a life guy, it's like, it's like me running for the mountains, right? Like, do I stay in the Himalayas and avoid the world's problems or do I come and become of the world? And, you know, the fundamental distinction is the ascetic versus the householder. The ascetic is like, I don't touch money. I don't touch any of this stuff. I'm going to pray for world peace. Here's my begging bowl. You know, give me some food. I'm praying for your salvation. Right. And you're like, okay, here you go, monk. Right. Versus a householder, which is like, man, I got, sh- I got shit going on. I got tuitions. I got gas. I got, you know, all these things that I pay for. And I'm also responsible for these children growing into able-bodied humans. And I'm also responsible for um, not being an asshole in society. There's a lot. There's a lot of pressure. How do you do it? Yeah. You don't do it by running for the hills. You don't do it by pretending. You do it by actually developing a practice that works for you. And you'll know your practice is working for you when it's working for you. I was going to say, when you see the results. When you see the results, right? And the rest of it is just talk. So let's talk about this. This is a perfect segue. And give us like some of these tips. I mean, there's so many in there. Like some of the tips of what people can start doing to incorporate and see what works for them as little ways to make changes in their lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got to give things time, right? So if you want to start meditating, uh, don't be like, okay, well, I tried it for three days. Right. right. So start meditating and start spending the time meditating and just wait to see the results a little bit, right? And if you're not getting results, then sit with a meditation coach and be like, what am I doing wrong? Um, am I being impatient? Am I 
you know, am I, um, maybe should I be doing some sound versus light or whatever? I mean, there's different orientations. Personally, I started with moving meditations because I'm such a monkey, right? So I do a lot of Qigong. So it's like you lock the eyes with the body movement and it just like helps bring me in. And then I can meditate for a couple hours on the cushion until like my back hurts or something. You know what I mean? Like I could sit there much longer having done Qigong or something but I think that's important for people to realize too. There are so many different styles of meditation, and like just like us, we're all wired differently. Mm. You're gonna find something that works for you, and in the beginning, there might be something that's just easier for someone. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and everyone's just like, just tell me what you know. Oh, what's the best meditation app? And you're just like, everyone is being they scratch the surface because they don't actually mm-hmm. want to look. They're still just looking for a quaalude. Oh, I heard meditation is gonna help me go back to my life. Right. What if your life is the problem? Right. Well, one of the things you say in the book that I love, and I know, I know I'm going to misquote you, so I apologize, but if your life is chaotic now, don't expect it to be easy later. There's some version of that, and I always think that's amazing. It's like, unless you make actual changes in your life, why would you ever think the future is going to look differently? Your tomorrow will look like your today. And I misquote myself every day. Like, I don't know what, okay, good. I, don't know what I said three <laughs> minutes ago. Right? But yeah, I, and it's just this, this fallacy that you think things are going to be different in the future because somehow you have different plans for yourself in the future, um, but you are reinforcing circuitry. So, like, and we go back to the you know how we started this conversation is this sympathetic overdrive of fight and flight, right? Um, every time you reinforce that reality for your nervous system, you are laying pipe. You are hardwiring more and more neurons along that trajectory to the point where you are just like one stressed out person all the time. So if you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this thing and when I retire, I'll do this other thing. No, you've become this person who can't help themselves now because your neurology has now basically been like set as a stressed out person. That is, I think, like a moment of pause for this because... That's huge because I think most stressed out people are people who are just go, go, go. That's exactly right. It's like, but when, if, when, and then. It's so interesting to realize that your choices now aren't just about, I'll get it done now. I can do it differently later. You won't be able to do it differently later because you will be wired to not be able to do it that way because you have wired yourself. So basically, it's like every time you do this, like going back to that car, you're fixing the car a certain way and then you're expecting it to run differently yeah. later. And it's like, no, you've, you've actually created a whole machine. Yeah. You've spent the last 40, 50 years building this sandcastle. But you're talking this everything, like neurology, you're talking chemically, you're talking, I mean, All that's physiology. Like, that's what I think is amazing. It's not just like habit. Because yeah. I think that's what people think we're talking about. It's like, oh, it's habitual. It's like, no, it's not even habit. It's in your core. Yeah. And, and look, you could spend the next five years uh, piping neurons towards your parasympathetic and like get way better. Right. But when's the, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Right. And when's the next best time? Right now. Right. It's not like, oh, I'll start meditating when I retire. Uh, you know, the world is crazy. I don't even know if you can retire by the time retirement comes around. I know. Start now. Right? And then everything gets better. Everyone I know who started meditating um, and found it, it's like, oh my God, the fundamentals of my life changed to the point where I like, everything became better. What do you mean by found it? You said started meditating and found it. And found it. Well, people say, oh, I meditate. Like mm-hmm. I did TM back in the 60s. Do you still do TM? No. You mean so like it becomes part of them? It becomes a part of them. It's the fire that you blow on every morning and add kindling and logs to 
right? Mm-hmm. It's the hearth that, that you, you anchor your life around your practice. You don't supplement your life with a practice, right? And that's the fundamental distinction. And that's where Westerners get all freaked out. And we're like, well, 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 would Jesus do that? Like, oh, well, but I'm Jewish. Like, just find a freaking practice that works for you and don't change your identity. Don't start dressing like some sort of yoga person or getting like, you know, Maori tattoos because now you're spiritual, right? Like everyone has to change their identity because now they do this thing. What if you just got up and did this thing and then went about Who being you are. a nicer version of you? Oh my God, I am such a fan of that statement. I mean, look, that's why this place actually, we opened it because it was all about creating a space where people didn't feel like they had to subscribe to a certain way. Totally. And that was like really important to me because I, every time I went to places and I love a lot of things I would learn and I'm very strong in my individuality. So I never suffered from that. Like all of a sudden dressing like every, I never suffered from it, but I would look around and see it and I would be like, I understand why this is happening. I so clearly get why other people are doing it. Like I want a space where everyone feels like meditations for everybody and they can still be who they are mm. while doing it. They don't, it's not subscribing to a certain way of, but that's how, so, so that's where the douchebags have ruined it for everybody. Because, hey, meditation's cool. My, my meditation, look at me, right? And they, so they start to play the shepherd game and they start pulling in and people are all like, you know, hungry ghosts, as, right. as the Buddhists call it, right? People are looking for someone to follow because they've been trained to follow. The only thing you're supposed to follow is the eternal truth in your yeah. own heart. And if anyone is making a statement that does not somehow resonate with that message, I don't know a single spiritual tradition that wouldn't walk away and say, hey, whoa, whoa, careful, right? The middleman has ruined the game. And so, yeah, it's not about changing your name or being like this new identity. You don't even know who you are, so stop trying to proclaim who the new version of you is when you don't even know who the old version of you were and the new version is also a fucking construct. How do people find out who they are? Ask the question. Who am I? And when you ask that question, the better question is who just asked that question? And keep digging. I don't think there's an answer, but there's better and better questions. Right? The inquiry is, in the, dis- is, is, is the journey in discovering who you really are because what you're doing as you're asking that question is you're having to let go of all the facades and the false constructs of who you say you are as all these defense mechanisms that you've created because of all the things that have hurt you growing into this thing called life. And so we've, we've built this huge kind of like house of cards around us called our identity as a defense mechanism. And it's so f- fragile, it's so fucking fragile that it doesn't take much for it to start to, you know, see cracks in it. And then, you know, then we're like, oh man, I need, I need a new identity. This one isn't working. My name is now Shanti and I do yoga and <laughs> I don't hang out with any of my friends because they're too judgy. So I judged them. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I want to talk about the next Den Talks Live. So if you haven't been to one, please come. It's going to be Thursday, March 14th at 7.30 p.m. at our La Brea location. We have Nick Vile. Most people know him as The Bachelor. He's been on Bachelor in Paradise. He's been on The Bachelorette. And then, of course, The Bachelor himself. But he's also a guy who's been struggling with anxiety. And in order to combat that, started using essential oils. He's now the co-founder of Natural Habits, which is an essential oil company. We get into all of that, what it's like to have anxiety. Imagine having anxiety and being on a show like that. We are going to talk about it 
it all. Again, like always, there's a Q&A, a chance to socialize at the end of it, and I'm sure we will have some fun giveaways. So please come. Go to denmeditation.com or dentalkspodcast.com. Reserve your spot. Again, it's Thursday, March 14th at 7.30 p.m. See you there. Hey, you guys, just a quick note, because we do get asked all the time, what are other things we can do? We have so many certifications. So if you're in the area and want to come and do some live, you should really check out our certifications. We have our big one. That is a 400-hour teacher training certification. That is incredible, not only if you don't want to be a teacher, but if you just want to go deeper in your meditation practice, where you learn about all lineages. We have all the Reikis, one, two, three, and master. We do intuitive healing, which is a longer program about learning how to read people intuitively and do readings. We also have an animal communications and a self-compassion passion. So many. My point is, check it out. There's ways to dig deeper into your practice. There's ways to get certifications. Go to denmeditation.com and take a look. Tell me a moment for you. It could be recent or it could be when you started your own journey um, in this world that you went up against your identity. Oh, man. Um, I don't know, three minutes ago? I mean, <laughs> right? It's, it's the challenge at it's hand. It's like constantly evolving. Is I have this holographic projector called an ego that's constantly trying to make sense of reality and project some sort of safety for itself so it doesn't face discomfort. So then let me pose it to you differently. Tell me a moment when you were up against your ego that you distinctly remember that for the first time, the first time that you sat in it and you changed the way you reacted to it. Oof. Well, I had an early childhood experience that kind of rattled my core a little bit. Um, We were, um, it was the only time I actually went back to Iran where I was born. Um, It was like revolution, war, military, obligatory military service, fighting for guys I don't agree with kind of thing. Um, And, we went to visit this like vast network of subterranean caves that were like filled with water. So you had these little boats that you like pedal through these caves. It was, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and the guy who was like a friend of my uncle's played a prank and we're like two miles underground in these caves. And he's like, Oh shit, my flashlight died. And we're like in the pitchest of black. Oh my God, I even just got a pit in my stomach. The pitchest of black. Eight. Okay. Um, normal kid, right? Um, Everyone's screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. And I had this feeling, just this eight-year-old kid who doesn't know anything, just, you know, G.I. Joes or whatever I was doing at the time, right? Um, Where it's like, what? This isn't, not again. Like, this isn't supposed to be, like, this wasn't supposed to be how this one ended. And I had this, like, really crazy kind of, yeah, like, out-of-body, visceral experience of like a death moment that wasn't supposed to be happening. And so like my higher self was trying to reconcile like what was happening in that moment. Like you were seeing it from above. Yeah, like wow. a part of me was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this isn't how we're supposed to die. Like this wasn't the, this wasn't the plan for this this hatching, right? And And so like, and I was just like, just in this deep, comfortable space of like reconciling like this kind of like purgatory between life and death and like what, what came of this lifetime and how it was spent. Uh, and then the dude's flashlight comes back on and everyone's like, ha, 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 you asshole, whatever. And I'm just like, quiet. And I spent like a good two months in sitting on what the fuck was that, right? <laughs> like as, as an eight-year-old. I was going to say, and as an eight-year-old, what did you decide it was? 
I couldn't know. I couldn't articulate it. I didn't talk about it, right? And so it, it, it got punted to like another kind of mystical experience later in life where you're like, whoa, this is, oh, there's that feeling again. Yeah. And so these like pearls on a string of these kind of outside of time, non-local experiences where you are now in communication with a, a, a part of yourself that's ancient yeah, and wise and has been there. And has like been overseeing all your little knucklehead moves this whole time, <laughs> watching you, patting you on the head. And so it, 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 it became the kind of fundamental, probably, you know, the, the, the core fundamental experiences that laid the foundation for me saying, yeah, I'm going to be a monk. Well, I was right? just about to ask, is that what pushed you towards monkhood? So I, something did, right? And so, you know, it became an inevitable yes when I was asked to become part of the order before I could even say no. It was just like, yeah, yeah, Jedi. Yeah, I want that. So when did you start meditating? Like when did you, when did, yeah. I didn't start meditating really till early college where I, uh, like I, immigrant family, right? Like work hard, make something of yourself, you know, shit got fucked up in the homeland, you know, you got to start over kind of thing. And so ranked number one in my high school, went from high school straight to UCLA, you know, was interning, uh, you know, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor. That's what successful students do. And um, then hit this kind of wall of misery where I'm like, wow, I don't want that guy's life at all. That That's terrible. Like he's, he's not happy and he's not really helping people. He's just dripping people on morphine. And so it just put me in this weird kind of like, oh my God, I've been on these, this track my whole life. And I've declared to myself, my family, my world that this is what I'm going to be. Hmm. And never ask myself who I am. There's the identity thing. Right. And so I found a Tai Chi teacher. Um, I started, I actually started asking God for help. I'm like, hey, yo, um, if you're out there, um, a little help. Look, I'm a strong believer in whatever you want to call it. Prayer, talking, chatting, whatever it is. I am a believer in it. And I am a big believer in asking for help. Yeah. And But I don't think everyone... I think that's a hard concept for people because yeah. for some people you're asking to an ether, to right. nothing. And I, am a, I do really feel like when you actually take the moment and say like a little help and, you, and, and be open to whatever mm. it might look like, it's mm. not, you're not asking for it in a specific way, it does show itself. Yeah, and sometimes it's, it shows itself in ways that you're not willing to interpret right. Someone could say something yeah. that you didn't like hearing. Right? Yeah, or it's not exactly how you want your life to go. Yeah, yeah, and then then you have to reconcile that against the plans that your ego has for you. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you're just not on the right path. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I would say if you're, on, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you sometimes get knocked off really hard <laughs> if, and, you're not, if you're not noticing the signs. <laughs> yeah, it starts with baseline discomfort and ends with car accidents and heart attacks. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so then uh, to that point, like the more you can be in tune and meditate, hopefully you'll be getting it more at the discomfort level. You'll be able to read the signs versus having to wait for the heart attack. Bingo. Bingo. Um, So if you could accelerate the growth curve and understand that the discomfort is your teacher and stay in real time and adjust your life, then you're like a hot knife through butter and life starts working in a way where just shit works, right? Hot knife through butter. I like it. Right? It's just the world will start parting because you are present and you are a force of nature. You're not back on your heels just constantly like analyzing and thinking about, you know, should, should I have done that? What should I have done? I feel so horrible. You know, all this stuff that keeps its inertia. It keeps us out of our greatness. It's so crazy. It's amazing. So back to the identity thing. When you 
talked with your empache and they said, this is probably not for you. Was that hard for you? Like at that point, how of an identity had you like immersed yourself oh, as a monk? Great question. Um, one of the hardest. It's incredibly easy to feel like you're enlightened when you're in the Himalayas and everyone's meditating on world peace. Sit in LA traffic when it's raining, when you're late for something and the phone's ringing off the hook and payroll is due and then tell me your meditation works. Right? I think that's a very fair point. <laughs> I've lived both lives. But by the way, I also right? love that because I think for people like me or I'm sure so many people who are listening that struggle with that, I think it gives you a little permission of like, oh, I'm actually, I'm not doing so badly. Because yeah. I think there's this perception we all need to be this perfect little monk like sitting there like Buddha and it's so hard. Now look, we can work towards it and work for it. But like you said, we're in, if you have payroll and you're in traffic and you just got in a fight with someone, whatever, it's like, it's harder. Yeah. And, it's and, a much challenge, more and that, challenging. That's actually a, a better school in yeah, some ways. You're challenging yourself. Yeah. Cause it's accelerated growth. I can't it's like with I'm, skiing. I always say you're not going to get good unless you're falling. Fuck man. And like, so I just came from, you know, two weeks of skiing in park city and that's my drug of choice. And, um, I, I had one of my, um, business partners and good friend. He's a, you know, a shamanic scholar and great dude. Um, and he's, he hadn't had the, the bug bite. Right. And I've been skiing my whole life and I love it. And so I got him to like a core level of proficiency. I'm like, come with me <laughs> into the trees, into the backwoods. Let's go. And at first he's freaking out. I'm like, dude, you have to make the fucking turn anyways. Now there's just a tree there. The, sta <laughs> the stakes are a little higher. Pay attention. And his skiing had a quantum leap yep. over like an hour to the point where he's like, oh my God, I love this. Because now we're in the woods navigating through a mountain. And, you know, I could sit on my cushion for an hour and people could look at me and I'm brown. Like, they're like, oh, he's so spiritual, right? <laughs> he's like, I, I could be thinking about my bills. I could be fighting something out with my wife in my head right now. And I look like I'm meditating. Good luck doing that tree skiing. Right. Every decision has to count. You, if you're not present, you're getting hurt. Right. Right. And so that's a form of meditation. And I love it. It's like, it's, it's high stakes mindfulness. So interesting. I love that. So when they told you, you probably shouldn't do this, it was like... Fuck, he's right. <laughs> you, you knew it at your Oh, core. he was... Oh, yeah. I, I had been feeling it because I'm just watching the people there. I'm, you know, so there's like the, the other gurus that are just interested in banging the girls that showed up from Santa Monica, right? Like, and it was just like, oh, this is a, a guru feeding frenzy on wounded Westerners who are now, you know, being preyed upon sexually by these spiritualists. So I saw that gross stuff there. Yeah. Uh, they're not interested in my brown ass. They're just like, oh, go over there and meditate, right? And so I'm just watching all this stuff happening, going, wow, you know, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, right? And my grandmaster, God rest his soul, was amazing. He was a Taoist Kung Fu guy, serious dude, right? And he was just like, look, I don't care about any of that la-la spirituality. Like, sit down, silence your mind, tell me, what you, tell me what you observed, right? And so I spent a lot of time in India and Nepal watching some of this other stuff, and it, was, it wasn't all good, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't all good. And as I'm watching this, and I'm sitting with, like, you know, really prominent Rinpoches who are good. Like, I don't want to diminish it. Well, there are course. some real people that are doing real work. Um, and, and by when, the way, that's everywhere. L.A. too, because yeah, I know we talked about it. Like, down, everywhere. Yeah, down the street. There's a guy in the Starbucks across Absolutely. the street right now who's got, it, got his shit together, right? And so when he said this, and I have respect for this man, it wasn't him saying it. It was God, right, inside of me. Like, I already knew that to be true. I just needed to hear that in some feedback loop because I didn't want it to be true. Yeah. 
right? And then I was like, yeah. Oh, I've been there so many. I've actually had conversations mm. like that before. I'm like, I know, I know. I need you to like spell it out though for me. Please. Yeah. It's like, I'll literally say that. I'm like, please just spell it out. <laughs> like basically smack my forehead with it. Yeah. Finally. So that I can like quote skull. unquote believe it. Yeah. I just needed to hear it. Right. And I was like, yeah. I was in my early twenties. Right. You got a lot of. But it's also hard. I feel like a lot of times when there's big leaps or things that you have instinct or gut, it, they are major changes. And again, because everything we're talking about is learning how to center yourself and understand yourself, it doesn't mean you're not aware that you still have different systems in place. Right. So I do think even when you're like, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but obviously it's scary as shit. Part of you still, like you have that doubt. You're like, wait, is that this part talking or is it this part talking? Right. Which one? And that's where you're like, oh my God, just spell it out, be clear. Like, yeah, I know it probably do. is, but like, I would really just love that confirmation. <laughs> well, and that's it. I mean, look, if you haven't like built the hearth of that fire so that you can stand there, warm yourself and know comfortably that this is your truth yeah. and you're still kind of in that place and like, you know, I've had this in my 20s. I was like, how come everyone has a guru? I want a guru. Like, I was never <laughs> allowed to have a guru because I wasn't allowed to follow a person, I was taught practices and sent off my merry way to be like, go in the woods for two weeks and practice this. Yeah, learn for yourself. Yeah, until I found it myself, right? And I was always like jealous of people who had gurus and I realized that that was a crutch and um, an amazing disservice to those people. Yeah, because ultimately it is within us. So yeah, Yeah. you you kind of got like a direct line. Yeah. Which is great. I got smacked around and and it led to, you know, the guy that you got here, but um, it wasn't an easy road to hoe, but I know they were right. I want to, because I've taken up so much of your time, I do want to go over some of the few things that you do talk about before we get to your four years, like just easy things I know people can take away. So, I mean, obviously I know for you, TV, TV is actually a question I have for you because I know you're like, life's not a spectator sport, get off the fucking TV, it's poison. What about for those people who it is really their way of turning their brain off? It is their way of relaxation. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. I'm, I know. I, I'm not smart enough to watch TV. And so there's so much, like if you understand the neuroscience that goes into TV, if you understand the subtle messaging, the manipulation of belief systems, the flashing of blue light, all the things that happen to your brain, it is not downtime. So find real downtime. So let's talk about some of that stuff. Like you, you, one of the examples you use is like one, is it one night a week or go candlelight? Every night of the week, if you could do it. Candlelight. Candlelight. And what I'll do is I'll do a candle meditation in the mornings. And if the kids stumble in early, I'll have them sit down and like watch the candle with me. And say, hey, can you focus enough to make the candle move to the left? Can you make it twirl? Oh, I'm going to use that one with her. I love that. It's real, right? And it's not a false light. It's not a projected light. It's not blue light. It's real. It's the ignition of matter into energy, reflecting spirit. It's real. You need to focus on real things in order to come back to reality. Nature is real. And TV is not. No. Right. So that's so, your... And I make movies. No, no, I know. I know. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, the, it's a very, very fine line using light as a, a medium of communication, of messaging, because you realize the utter responsibility you have with the consciousness and the belief system and the thoughts of the people watching this. And most of the people are just, it's just all drama, it's pain, it's intrigue. I mean, forget the news, but like, you know, there's wonderful media out there. Like I, I do not, I, I definitely recommend like watching movies, 
and things like that, right, that are, that are quality movies. But if you're using the TV to calm your brain, it's not going to work. You think it's working. What about in the notion of off that with lights and fake lights? You are very big on sleep, obviously. I think mm-hmm. you say eight hours. As much as you can get. As much, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. But you also are a fan of blackout shades. Yes. So, or curtains. What, if nature is real, how come the sun rising isn't something that works for you? Do you it know what should. I mean? As far as like, why blackout curtains? Like, can't you, if, you're, if your curtains, if you don't have curtains, let's say, or you're open, and so you naturally get woken up by the light, is that a bad thing? No, that's a great thing. Okay. Uh, the blackout curtains specifically are for people who live in urban environments where there's street lights polluting the darkness of the night. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, that was to me was like a question. I'm no, like, that feels I mean, like the natural, the natural rhythms. If you live in a place where you um, can shut off your Wi-Fi at night, you have no electrical signals. The only light that you're being exposed to is the stars and the moon. You win. And when you wake up from natural light, your body's rhythms start setting. That's great. For me, those recommendations are more for people who live in busy urban environments who just cannot, or have some, some dumb red like you know numbers flashing at them at night because the time somehow matters. Um, and, it, and it distorts the brain's ability to shut down. So you, there's just too much noise, too yep. much information. That signaling is information that needs to be processed, and it tells your brain, hey, stay up, there's something happening. And what about five-minute breathing breaks? I feel like that is such an easy thing everyone can do. Everyone should be doing them all the time. Every half hour, take five minutes. So work 25, sprint. Work your ass off. 25 minutes, and then take five minutes to just breathe. And by just breathe, you mean just breathe. You're not doing anything else. Focus on your breathing. Every time your mind wanders from your breathing, come back to focusing on your breathing. Set a, a timer on your desktop or your phone or whatever, and just push it aside and focus on breathing for five minutes. I feel like that would have gigantic, amazing effects for people. It does. And Every, everyone I've recommended it to is like, that changed my life. Yeah, and it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, but, but we're so not used to rewarding ourselves with I time. Know. You have 24 hours in a day, but you won't take five minutes to breathe for yourself. You know, if you really... Nicole, like, we have to start doing that. we got to set it in. Works like a charm. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. No, because I think that's amazing. You also... Exercise is a big one for you. Exercise an hour, which is not surprising. Um, you also talk about a lot of herbs. Yeah. What's your feeling on marijuana? It could be useful. Um, it's a crutch. If, like, so my thing is, I like marijuana. CBD has got amazing stuff. Yep. CBD THC has some also amazing medical stuff. And you know what? The psychoactive effects of THC, I think, are very therapeutic for people who know what to do with them. Uh, my challenge with it is if you're practicing idolatry. If you need marijuana to relax, if you need marijuana to enjoy a movie, if you need marijuana to like, you know, feel like you're in your body, you're giving your power of introspection, relaxation, or whatever to a plant, and that is moving you further away from your inner truth. So, I mean, it goes back, you're, you're very steady in your beliefs, which I love. I mean, it goes back to what you've been saying the whole time. It's like, even if this appears to be a good thing, if you're using it as a crutch and you're not actually within yourself, then it's not a good thing. Yeah, same thing with psychedelics. I love psilocybin mushrooms to teach you about the path of ascension of your consciousness and how connected you are with nature and reality and all life. Does that mean you should take them every weekend or go to Disneyland on them? No. (laughs) You go to Disneyland on mushrooms, you're a moron, right? Use them in ceremony in nature, learn about it, 
and then meditate and breathe there. You just got a glimpse of something that you need to now work towards naturally. If you are feeling like a stressed out person, what is the one like herbal tea you would recommend? Depends on the person. Um, those are the kind of tabloid answers that lead stay people to stay away from because they might have high cortisol, they might have uh, blood sugar issues. I mean, that's the thing is we, we are now in a realm of personalized solutions in personalized medicine that is changing the game. So there's no answer to that globally, but there's definitely an answer to that for you. What would you say? I'd have to ask you more questions. <laughs> we'll do it later. Yeah, yeah. Um, you also talk about fasting one day a week with liquids only. I think you say like one day a week act as if you're sick, soup and liquid. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you do that? Uh, often. Not all the time. Depends on if I'm on the road or if I'm on vacation and stuff. So, you know, like I, I will do a three-day. I did like, I don't know, last month I did a three-day liquid fast, right? And so I'll do it as my body needs it, right? You know, I was in Park City and having big dinners and extravagant meals with, you know, film people. And I was like, yeah, right? right you and felt then, it. Yeah, and you just kind of like got to lick your wounds and let your body heal and kind of assimilate and digest, right? Um, there's a time where your body needs calories and there's a time where you're, you're overwhelmed with calories, right? And you're overwhelmed with like, you know, maintenance, if you will. And so I think therapeutically fasting is an important skill. And I'm actually happy that's kind of in vogue again, right? That's coming back with all this kind of keto intermittent fasting stuff. Yeah. I think that the orientation, the intention around it is a little skewed. It's also a time of introspection, and growth. Well, that's one of the things you say about it, which I love is you should, you need to fast with gratitude. And that was something different. I'd never heard before, actually. You, I've never seen like that kind of approach to it, which is kind of what I think you're talking about a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, what is the motivation behind what you're doing? I'm trying to get six pack abs so I can get laid more often. <laughs> right. Like yeah. a lot of this has become fad diet stuff. And people who feel like their self-worth is dictated by how they look and how other people assess their value. And if that's the game you're in, you're a lost soul. Right. Right? That's the, you're, never, you're, never, you're not drinking from the right fountain there, no matter how much you're fasting. Right? So it's a fundamental operating system issue. What's your orientation? Are you getting closer to divinity? Are you getting closer to the truth of who you truly are? person that innately is love and exudes love and doesn't need any outside input? Or are you just trying to get someone's approval because you kind of feel empty, right? And unless you're looking at fixing that wound right there, you're just running around like a lunatic. I love that. So let's do your four use, four quick takeaways for the audience. Do you journal or have, or what's your daily practice? I get up and I do a five set, five um, move Qigong set. It takes me about eight to 10 minutes every morning before I pee. It helps absorb the qi from the kidneys and it helps kind of build your resolve and bring your attention to the room. Um, I will do one to two Qigong sets a day, depending on you know when you catch me. Um, I will take breaks around lunch and go to the gym or you know go in the infrared sauna or something. And in the evenings, after daddy duty is done and the kids are down, I'll spend some time meditating and staring at a candle um, and um, preparing my consciousness for sleep. So practical question, you're married. <clears throat> mm -hmm. How much of this stuff does she do with you? Very little. She's not that 
way. She does her own things. She's happy her, her own way. But, you know, one of the fundamental things that you got to learn about a marriage is don't beat someone over the head with your shit. Right? <laughs> That's so true. She's, she's fine. She'll do some things, you know, I'll take care of her if she gets sick or something like that. And she does her exercise stuff and she does her own thing. She, she has quiet contemplation. She does things differently. And that's okay, right? It doesn't make me right. Right, right, right. right? Absolutely. And so, um, and, and frankly, if I wanted to marry myself, I shouldn't have gotten married. <laughs> you could have kept being a monk, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's, how, um, what's your current obsession? Parenting. Oh. Parenting. It is fucking difficult <laughs> to do it right. It really is. Right? To be the example and to be present and, and, and lead by example and get them enough time in nature and, you know, watch for their cues. And so, you know, it's, it's powerful medicine. It is really hard. It's funny. I feel like and the more you're aware of how we all need to recalibrate, I feel like you become as a parent, you're like, how can I help them get this skill set? so that they are already steps ahead in that sense. Like they don't find themselves, and simultaneously, like you said, and who do we think they are so I can take their cues versus putting my own cues on them. And to a point you made earlier, sorry to cut you off, is how do I give them the space and the safety that one would assume they would need without coddling them and letting them taste some bitterness and some harshness of life and, and, and kind of struggle through some lessons so that they grow into resilient, strong creatures instead of this shitty coddled generation of, of, oh God, this entitled generation of weakness that has led to all kinds of problems psychologically and spiritually in our culture. Our children are not strong. And that is a problem for yeah, humanity. I, I look at a lot of them and I'm actually really sad. Yeah. Because I'm like, I, I, they don't have the skill set. They don't have the tools. And it's like, that is a very scary place to be at a certain age when all of a sudden you're feeling all these emotions, all these things are coming and you don't even, even know where to begin. And, mm-hmm. like, and then the way it's, I agree. And I do think that's the biggest challenge. And I don't think, I think people are just starting to figure it out. The difference of supporting and loving, but also allowing them to experience pain and emotion and sometimes failure and stuff like that and, yeah. and, and, and exposing them to like you said the harsh realities of the world but still and with giving them space but in still a way that, that they know you're there and you love them and you love them no matter what yeah. but I do think that's a balance that's hard it's hard in the culture we live in um, you know we're trying to kind of grasp back at like what femininity is yep. but we've also lost masculinity in that and so men are not really men anymore either. And not like the locker room talk bullshit that, you know, people talk about what being a man is. But yeah. like, what is a man? Like, how does a dad actually act as a man, as a role model? And a lot of that's been lost culturally. Uh, and we're trying to find it. Yeah, again. I think there's a lot right? of confusion with identity right There's now. a lot of identity confusion. And so how do you step in and let these kids grow and, and kung fu, right? Like the hard work that lets them become resilient, strong, tolerant, independent humans without coddling them too much, but also not letting them, you know, get run over by a car. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And how do you behave and interact with your spouse in a way that shows how you can respect each other in a world that's so confused? And so that's, I mean... That's the lesson I'm in. I got a three-year-old and a four-year-old, right? I mean, you are so in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. And, and so instead of feeling sorry for myself and being like, I don't have time to do yoga, that is my yoga. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. 
It really is. I mean, I could talk, have this. We, I'm going to have you back so we can actually have this conversation because it's a really interesting one. What is a helpful tip for people who are starting meditation to have a valuable meditation? Uh, give it time. Pit, stay in a lane. Pick something. Stop dancing around being like, what if I do this twirly light and I do this? And just stop <laughs> mixing recipes. Pick something that, that, you know, go to a teacher who looks like they know what they're talking about and lives what they're preaching and if you trust them, then just freaking listen to them and give it some time to learn it. So time's a big one. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, you've got a lot of circuitry pointing towards fight or flight craziness. And that doesn't necessarily turn around in like two weekend sessions. Yeah, meditation's not an off switch. Yeah. And it's just not, you don't pivot on a dime. It's just like, well, shit, man, I've spent 35 years getting here and I gave it three hours and I, I'm really pissed because I don't have any results. It's like, come on. Yeah. That's not how reality works. Right. What if you had one piece of life advice, what would it be? Be true to your word, starting with yourself. Hmm. I love that. Everything. Everything is a contract. And if you can break a deal with yourself, you will break a deal with the universe right then in that moment. So stop making deals that you don't hold yourself to. That's huge. I live by that. Um, and the few times I've broken it, it's, that's been my hardest healing process because I'm so angry at myself. Um, but it's amazing how many people don't. No, and, and they're used to it, right? We just had, uh, my wife's family has a kid that was just fucking up and they're like, so they sent him to us. Um, and I said, look, you lie to me, you're out of here. And his fund, he had no common ethical fabric. He had no morality. He could not tell the truth because it didn't matter. Wow. And I was just like, oh my God. That's why I'm, like my obsession is parenting. I'm like, oh my God, they fucked this up. Right. It's like, how do you get to that point where your no morality honor. is that off? Yeah. I mean, he has no honor. Honor is integrity with oneself. And that is learned. And, and we don't live in a world that's, this is like, the, you look at our politicians, there's just no honor anymore. Like, I, you know, for me, like to be a man, I need to be an honorable man. Right, an honorable woman does this, and so I think that that is what's coming, and that's going to be the next dose for kind of the spirituality of humanity is bringing back some of these things that have just gotten brushed under the rug. We just got busy, we forgot about the important stuff. And you guys, he is going to do his personal practice, which will be a Taoist meditation. Um, but I can't wait to have you back, and thank you for this like amazing discourse. Thank you, thanks for having me. It was fun. Close your eyes, tip of the tongue, touching the roof of the mouth. You wet my whistle here. Breathing in nose and out nose to a spot about three fingers below the navel called the lower duntian, Chinese. Just anchoring the breath. Lower diaphragmatic breathing is proven one of the quickest ways to switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system. This is how you retrain your neurology to be in rest and digest. In nose, out nose.
And as your eyes are closed, you're going to bring your focus to the tip of your nose. Keep breathing down to your lower dantian. Slow, rhythmic inhale. Slow, rhythmic exhale. But focus your inner gaze on the tip of your nose. And if you find your mind wander, just go back to this exercise. Not that complicated. A lot of you who've done Indian yoga have a habit of having auditory breathing. The breathing in this Taoist meditation is completely silent. You shouldn't hear yourself breathe. Focusing your awareness on the tip of your nose. Take a few more breaths here and I'll explain a little more. This comes from a tradition called the Dao Tan Pai, of which I hail. And this is a practice taught by one of the eight Taoist immortals named Lu Dong Pin. And the process, something we call retroflexion, which is turning the light of awareness around, inward, to see the true inner light. this practice comes from a, a book or a work translated by Thomas Cleary called The Secret of the Golden Flower, where eventually after some time, and again it might take you a minute, it might take you a year, as you focus on the tip of your nose, a golden flower starts to reveal itself right around the area of your third eye. There's all sorts of cool things we do from there. But once you become aware of the inner light, the journey begins, because then you're not looking for answers outside yourself. And you realize that everything you ever wanted, craved, desired, or wondered, the source is right there the bottom of your breath, tip of your nose. So you work, you cultivate, you water, and you let the golden flower reveal itself to you. 
then you never need a guru. You can be whole. The light is the teacher. Your eternal self is your true self. And the way is the training. So keep practicing, keep meditating, and do the work. The fruit's on the other side of the work. Slowly coming back to the room. You could practice this for hours. And that's your homework. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.